The deep state are people who have permanent jobs within the federal government, and there are millions of people. Not everyone is against our government who works for the government. Not everyone is a part of the deep state, but you don't need everyone. If you even have just a hundred people who are in line with the goals to advance cultural and economic Marxism or to advance the goals of Islamic Jihad, for instance, and they have jobs within the federal government, they can do very serious damage. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what the concern is. If there are people that have permanent jobs in our government who are undermining our government. Nothing we can do but pray. Well, we need to pray, but also this is how I pray. I pray according to the scripture, which says we need to pray to expose, ask the Lord to Mm. expose the hidden deeds of darkness. And he has remarkable ways of doing this, where you can only say it's the hand of God who exposes the hidden deeds of darkness. And that's one way I would ask your listeners to pray, to please pray that God would expose these hidden deeds of darkness. And he does. Trust him. He will. And I will say to your listeners, in my lifetime, I have never seen a more biblical president than I have seen in Donald Trump. He has so impressed me with what he's done. And we haven't even talked about Israel, what he has done to to advance Israel. So he is highly biblical. And I would say to your listeners, we will in all likelihood never see a more godly biblical president again in our lifetimes. So we need to be not only praying for him, we need to support him, in my opinion, in every possible way that we can. Mm. Y'all, that was Michelle Bachman, a damn senator. Y'all see how batshit crazy some of this shit is, y'all? Man, and all on Black Easter, too. Come on now. It's time for some profane faith. He said, in there shall be signs of the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar, and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White-Hodge. Well, hey, y'all. How you doing? What's happening out there in podcast land here on a very special Easter Sunday here of 2019, if you're listening to this in real time. uh, It's your boy, Dan White-Hodge, host of the Profane Faith podcast, and uh, I am here on Easter Sunday, recording and, uh, you know, taking it all in. Went to church this morning, all dappered up, and we had some amazing friends uh, over that I really consider family. Uh, Many who listen to this show would probably listen to it right now. And um, I am very thankful for that crew and that those those group of people because, uh, man, it's this, this, you know, it, it you need people like that. I'm thankful for the, for folks like that because... Um, it gives me some hope. It gives me some some energy. It gives me some drive. It gives me some something that to, to keep me motivated. Um, it just in this man, it's crazy shit, right? It's crazy. Did y'all hear Michelle Bachman talking about Trump and uh, oh man, dude, this is right wing radio, man. I, I follow a a group called Right Wing Watch. Uh, they're online and Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, I follow them on SoundCloud. And uh, it's just some of the stuff that they pick up um, off of right wing radio and podcasts and, you know, on the other side. Um, it's just amazing and and scary in some regards and other regards. It's just like it's just batshit crazy, man. And so on this Easter, man, I am thankful for good friends. And like I said, folks that I consider family um, and then folks that are away and out. I got a great text from my man, Jr. Forsteros. Uh, man, big shout out to him and his wife, Amanda, um, and, you know, and just uh, the work that he's doing. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. And, you know, this Easter is just a good time to reflect. It was, it was a really nice freaking day here in Chicago, man. Sun was out. It's like 77 degrees, which, man, I can't believe how many of those days I used to take for granted when I lived in L.A., man. And just taken for granted it's like you don't even think i don't even think i had that many weather apps when i had i think i just had the one that came with the phone <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's like you know let's have that barbecue in two days man you need to think about that right you didn't have to think about 
when what's going to be what the weather going to be like in two days and here in chicago man it is <laughs> you're like well let's see i'm not sure so um uh, i was thankful for the weather i love sunshine and blue skies and just that vitamin d coming down in three-part harmony onto my skin you know what i'm saying so um very thankful for that so again if you listen to this in real time man happy easter um, this is one of the biggest holidays in the Christian faith. And so um, definitely well celebrated today. Well, I don't want to keep us long here, y'all. Um, just a note, though, we are winding down season three. Probably got a few more episodes left. I haven't decided yet in terms I've got a few people that I'm waiting on um, in terms of just guests. Uh, I definitely want to end the season on uh, this uh, work I've been doing with young folks and just some of the recordings that I have from them in regards to faith and race and culture and gender and all that interesting stuff. So uh, I'm hoping to end the season on that. That's uh, it's a big editing job. So um, I will hopefully get to more of that here soon. But I just wanted to give you the heads up and then, you know, we'll take a little break. I got another podcast that I'm still curating and working on with uh, Tamisha Tyler called Progressively Black. And so we're working on that. That's coming together. And uh, hopefully that'll be out, you know, maybe this summer and uh, and whatnot. But Profane Faith, usually for those of you who are new listeners, Profane Faith usually takes a break between seasons. Uh, just mainly to get some fresh ideas and to think about the show, retool here and there. Um, we would definitely not be away um, a long time, just a break and all that. But uh, for the for the near future, we'll still be on. Uh, this is not the last episode for season three. So I got a few more in me <laughs> before uh, I break into, like I said, trying to get this other podcast going uh, as well. So just to give y'all a heads up, y'all, uh, this week's guest, great friend of mine. Oh man. He, I first met him and we were actually, I was his professor actually. He's going to talk about this here. Uh, this is Sean Watkins, uh, Reverend Sean Michael Watkins. Uh, he's out in Austin and he is a pastor of a very unique church. I'm going to let him explain that and uh, what he got, what he has and got going on. Um, but we first met, I was his professor at an online course, an urban youth ministry, something like urban youth culture or something like that. And uh, we connected and we've just been friends ever since. We finally met face to face a few years back at a, at a, one of them, one of them, one of them Christian conferences. And then uh, we had a chance to really connect uh, in 2017, I think during the missiology lectures out at Fuller. Um, and this brother's just, he's just got, oh, I've, I've been telling him, I said, I mean, I've been wanting to get you on the show. He's been on before in terms of, you know, he had, he's had a part uh, on other, you know, shows that I've had in episodes, but I definitely wanted to get him on just to talk about life and God and, and Black Easter, man. You know what I'm saying? He's got to talk about Black Easter and Jesus and race and all those great things, man. Y'all, they raised a billion dollars for Notre Dame in one week. I actually thought that was a damn typo in the news thing that came out. And I was like, a billion dollars in a week? Oh, my gosh. Um, there's some crazy stuff going on. I know some of you are like, well, what's the problem? I'm like, dude, there's black churches burning. There's people out here struggling just to just to help victims of uh, of, of, of 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 apartments that have, have burnt down uh, just to get them some clothes. Uh, but a billion dollars, that's some crazy stuff. So we have a conversation about that uh, and just what that means and particularly to black life and, uh, you know, black Easter and stuff, man. So my brother, Sean Watkins, like I said, he's out in Austin. I'll let him break down where you can find him. Uh, this is a great conversation because I wanted to have particularly this around uh, Easter. Um, I think I can't remember where I was at last year for Easter uh, or what episode was on when I was doing this. But either either way, I like having some some good uh some good conversations particularly around these these times and, and whatnot so without any further ado y'all here is sean and i talking about life and god and blackness and theology and all that good stuff check it out well folks welcome back to another week of uh profane faith as you know it's a weekly podcast and this week i am so happy to have my good friend and colleague brother sean Watkins. sean Thank hey. you for coming to the show, man. Bishop, man, I'm glad to have you, dude. This is an honor, as always. So, uh, <laughs> man, and have taken, I took one class from you and was like, we're going to be friends as soon as I graduate. <laughs> as soon as you pass my class, we can be friends then, man. So, it's just, it's just man, do life with you and to be back on the podcast, man. 
Man, thanks, brother. That's it. I was just gonna ask, like, where did, did we meet through Fuller? Was it was it the online oh, course? Oh yeah, I was brazen hell about uh, Fuller giving me a colonized theology and not having any professors of color or having very limited uh, authors of color in the classes. And so, at the time, uh, a friend of mine from InterVarsity was also um, my academic advisor, and so he was like, "You should take Dan's class. Take Dan Hodge. Trust me, you'll like it." So I took Urban uh, Youth Ministry from you and. I think one week into the class, I was like, this fool is legit. <laughs> so I followed you, uh, followed you on Twitter immediately and was asking a buttload of questions. I was like, man, we got to stay in touch. Like, you're one of the few I've seen. So, and it's uh, I still use a lot of those books from that class then. Uh, I think the, uh, what is it, uh, Towards a Prophet Youth Ministry was the one that you had. Yeah, Arzola. Yeah. And so, uh, like, week one, once you gave that to us, I pulled the bus over on the side road. I called my whole staff team. Everybody ordered this book, and this is what we're discussing <laughs> in our next staff meeting. So, uh, oh yeah, we met through Fuller, and it's been a friendship ever since, man. No, that's for sure. No, that's for sure, man. Now, well, so real quick, because I've had you on the show before, but I know some folks probably might not know you. Like, where, how did you get from point A to now, man? Like, uh, what, uh, where is where's Brother Watkins you know, come from? Because I know you got that great seminary, multicultural, multi-ethnic education um, at Fuller, and, uh, you know, it was an amazing degree program in non-colonized theology, and you just <laughs> learned about so many ethnic minority theologians. Oh, uh, God, man. Uh, yeah, I'm from, uh, yes, everything that you just said, and Fuller knows that I talk about them in public and in private, because I think they can do better. Yeah, uh, yeah. One second. Uh, from Thurwood, man, born and raised in Houston, Texas. And, um, you know, parents, uh, my mom was a teacher, my dad was a lawyer, and, uh, you know, both very educated, but they made unwise choices. Both of them had addictions. And so after they got divorced, man, we moved from the suburbs into the hood and Third Ward. And so that was kind of my, my introduction of, like, having these two different perspectives about blackness, right? You can have these upper middle class black family values, but if you stop with this real life, you don't get shot. And so I couldn't figure out, like, what's... Like, the rules that I was taught don't apply here. And uh, got to college at University of Texas at Austin and uh, majored in African-American studies. And that was the first time that anybody put language to what I couldn't even articulate. And uh, it's just been on a journey for that ever since, man. Graduated and came on staff with InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship and was a, a black staff with them for about really 15 years. I led a ministry for black students at UT Austin, and then I became a regional coordinator and helped them grow ministry to black college students in Texas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, and supervise anybody that was trying to work with black staff. Wow. And uh, my last year there, I became an associate national director for a department called Ministry in Digital Spaces. So kind of in the midst of all of that, um, obviously, Black Lives Matter was happening, Trayvon get shot, um, Michael Brown, kind of all of those folks. And so you had um, not so much of a cultural awakening because that was already there, but you definitely had a social awakening in terms of why is the church doing more? And that happened really while I was at Fuller. And so I think for me, what led to my divorce from evangelicalism, as you and I both call it, is I think being on staff with university and being a student at Fuller. So I'm in the two leading evangelical institutions in the country, and both of them lacked the impetus to be able to address these issues and when they did say something, you know, it was six months late and it was a blog post and they both wanted to stand in ovation for that. And I was like, yeah, we're done. So <laughs> we just can't do that, man. So my friends and I, we planted a church here in Austin. It's elder-led. We don't want that hierarchical model that you see. I think really in the West where one person makes all the decisions. Uh, so it's team-led. We share the responsibilities. And, uh, man, we thought it would be something small. And we've got like 80 people that come uh, every week. We don't advertise. Folks find us and they stay. It's multi-ethnic, it's multicultural, it's multi-denominational. Bring your Baptist, bring your Kojic, bring all of it, man. Bring all of who you are. Wow. And fun, man. So that's what I'm doing. And I just finished this MDiv at Fuller. Thank God. Lord. <laughs> oh, God. He emailed me and said, you're done, you're finished. I'm like, yes, please. Let me out. I heard that, man. I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, that that you've come through that and that you've started something, you know, that unique out in uh, – in Houston, man, that's that's amazing. What now, man? There's so much that is that is that is hitting right now with with stuff. How do you and your church deal with, and just you know members or staff or whatever? How do you guys deal with like you know culture, popular culture, politics? Y'all yeah. in Texas, man. I mean, I. No, I we are. <laughs> what? Right, man. Well, uh, like I said, like I came to UT Austin, so I've been in Austin the last 18 years. So the church is in Austin, actually. Um, 
But uh, you know, Austin is um Austin is a very blue city and a very red state. So the best example that I can give for you is like 2008, right? Barack Obama wins uh, presidency of the United States. He wins the the election, right? Okay. And so, oh snap! First black president ever in life. We said, like in my academic classes, this was not going to happen in our lifetime. We just said this five years ago. This, this man is the president. I want a shirt now. Like I'm not waiting till tomorrow. <laughs> I'm gonna drive downtown to the Democratic headquarters uh, downtown uh, in Austin and get a shirt while I fresh off the presses. Then I kid you not, I got down there. People had their windows up, like on the 17th floor of the hotels. They were waving flags. People were like on top of each other's shoulders. They were kicking <laughs> like in the street, running barefoot. You just thought the war was over. You just thought Jesus was like like in the clouds. Like you saw the trunk, like the clouds coming down. It was so happy. What the heck is happening right now? This brother ain't even took office yet. That's Austin. Austin is very little, very blue. <laughs> A very Confederate state, right? There's some places like I can't drive right now in 2019 in Texas. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So, so man, I think for us it was um, the deciding factor for us really was uh, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. When those two guys got killed in the same day, uh, I called my boss and was like, "I need a week." Like I, I took two weeks off from university, and uh, I was at one church, and the guy that I planted with Shedrick, he was a he's an um, incredible musician, very gifted, and incredible speaker. And he's playing at three different churches. So between the two of us, we've got two churches that are multi-ethnic with a black pastor that's white-centered. And then we've got, uh, he's a, at another predominantly white church, and then he's at uh, an AME church. And between the four, the two of us, those four churches, we heard four different sermons, and we didn't like any of them in terms of how to respond to these things. And so we just said, man, let's do something else. And so that's really what led us to plant. Uh, I can't sing, man. I ain't got no musical gifts at all. I was playing <laughs> I was like, man, let's just like get together. We'll sing. We'll trade uh, whoever preaches. And when we get sick of each other, we'll go feed the homeless. And we sent out an email asking for prayer. And uh, everybody said, can we join y'all? Because we don't like where we are either. And so for us, it started out really as a response to social issues. Donald Trump is president. He clearly does not like anybody of Mexican or Latin or African American. You know, like nobody that's not European, that's not white. <laughs> yeah. of, you know, like it was a response to like, how do we... How do you navigate living in empire? Like, if you remember your lecture that you gave uh, at Fullerton, the Missiology lectures, man, when you spoke at chapel, I ran up to you. I was like, well, how the heck did you do that? How did you pull empire out of Daniel? Because that's what we felt like. How do you live in empire uh, where you are not Moses and you're not Nehemiah, right? You don't have a place of power and you don't feel like God is giving you a staff to go kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying. <laughs> you can't do either one of them. And so that's kind of really how we started. Um, and so we just said, you know, enough with the colonized theology, enough with the politics. Let's just open the Bible. Let's just do what it says and see what happens. And we've had agnostics. We've had atheist people come. They've joined. Um, and Christians. We've had people who are executive pastors at churches and, like, they've resigned or been fired for various reasons. They're at the church. And we have, we have, like, a deep bullpen of, like, preachers, teachers, and singers. And all of them got church wounds. All of them are coming from a place where, like, they don't trust evangelicals. They barely trust the church. But I think we're trying to get back to what you see in Acts, where it's just, let's just be the people of God. And it's been a tremendous gift, man. And that thing has gotten us through from, like, week to week to week. Wow. Wow, that's amazing, man. I mean, that and that, that I love hearing stories like that because my faith in, in church, the, you know, the, the, the little C needs to be restored on so many levels, man. I know. Oh. Oh man, I just there's so many negative stories. I mean, and you think and you hear some of these stories, and you know, and and you know, here's the thing. I mean, and everybody knows this. I mean, I grew up in Texas. I think if I would have grown up in a much larger city, I, I think I would have been all right, and I probably wouldn't have had such negative, uh, you know, uh, reactions to the state of Texas. But having grown up in a small rural community, man, it's like all that stuff that you talk about, man. That was just concentrated there, and being the only black kid. Ooh, nope. man, that was some, some crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff, man. So, okay, man. So you guys, y'all are engaged. Y'all are working with it. Y'all are, y'all are doing it, man. Now, let me, let me ask this just cause I know you and I love you, man. How do y'all handle the whole thing with, you know, sexuality, sexual orientation, man? What, what, how y'all, how y'all navigating that, uh, either the conversation or just the engagement and, and, and all that. 
we might have the conversation publicly from up front and kind of what I said uh, last month on the podcast, right? I don't think that sexuality is a, is a salvific issue. I think it's a discipleship issue. And that's true for all of us. I think that there are, you see the first sin in the Bible that's committed um, in Genesis 3 where like it's a food choice. And so I know different folks, they land on different sides of the spectrum in terms of like LGBT, LGBTQI advocates and some they're like, mm, I'm not really sure. And then there's something just like flat out won't even hear it and are completely against it. And my thing is, uh, I want everybody to be able to come in. I want everyone to be a part of our community. And so we've got folks who are, folks who are I think, practicing in some ways. Um, I know we've got some folks who are curious. It's just a struggle. Uh, but we haven't talked about it from up front because I don't want that to be the defining issue for them. I don't want them to be like, yes, you're LGBTQIA because that is your core identity. You are welcomed here. Or... For other folks, maybe like, man, no, we can't have that in our church. No one has said that at all. We haven't rejected anybody, nor do I think. Um, it's just not an issue for us. It's like, if you come up those stairs, you are family. Um, we had one girl that just came out um, as, uh, as bisexual uh, on a social media platform a couple of months ago, and she kind of disappeared. And I was like, uh, I sent her a text message. I was like, where did you go? And she said, I wasn't sure. If I was, uh, girl, if you don't get your butt over here and come eat with us, <laughs> you are fine. We love you and we accept all of who you are. And that's just kind of been the guiding principle for us, man. Like whoever comes up the stairs, you are family. Bring all of who you are. Um, and that's where we landed. And it's been a gift. I think people have been shocked that we've been so welcoming. Um, and I think of accepting of everyone. And again, it goes back to, I think, what we what we see Jesus doing. Like, there wasn't a single person that came in front of him where he was like, get out. <laughs> it just yeah. never happened, man. He just was like, hi, how you doing? Let's have some food. Who's the most hated person in the city? I'm going to go by your house today. We're going we gonna to have some barbecue, you know? So that's just the kind of model that we try to have, man. And it's, it's been a gift. No, that's what's up, man. No, that's that's good stuff, man. So, well, let me get, let me get into some of the the <laughs> the localness, man. Now, well, how well? First, let me ask this: since this is we're recording this, it's you know it's Easter weekend, and that's the yep. but uh, arguably the largest holiday for the Christian faith. Um, you know, I always say, folks, come to church on Easter and on Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Um, or funerals, you know, for that matter and stuff, man. But how are you? How are you preparing? How are you? I know you, you. We was texting yesterday, and you said you had. You know, you were preaching. How are y'all preparing for this year's uh, Easter service? Man, so we did a, a Good Friday service uh, last night. Actually, there's a church called Austin Vineyard Church that's doing some really great work in Austin. Uh, they sent on probably about five acres of land. Church was uh, predominantly white, and uh, there was a, um, I think a white guy that was up in Chicago and just was like praying and felt like God said Austin, Texas. And him and his wife literally got on Google and started looking for like old churches that were either close to dying or close to closing. And uh, they found Austin Vineyard Church. And so a young guy moved down here, talked to the pastor, and it was just one of those God-ordained things. So pastor turned on the reins to this young guy and they've been there for a while doing some great work in the city they feed the homeless like every saturday they pass out like 200 bags of like groceries um okay. people just doing some great stuff but obviously uh, it's not as diverse as they would like it to be i mean that's that's just true for every church that i think pretty much has a white male passion lead right now uh just marginalized people groups just don't trust that setup and so they've seen our church. Uh, our church is multi, I think, multicultural. It's mostly black people in there, though. We've got white people. We've got Latino folks. No Asians yet, but um, we don't have any. Um, yeah, they just, they recognize that, like, uh, they don't have any black folks come to their church. So they've seen us, and they're like, can we do something together? And so that's what we did last night. We did a Good Friday service. Um, there were four 10-minute sermons, uh, two of their leaders and two of our leaders, myself included. And we talked about uh, the Last Supper, uh, the trial, and the crucifixion. And then I preached on uh, just 10 minutes on Saturday, the day in between Friday and Sunday. Everybody talks about his death. Everybody talks about his resurrection. Nobody talks about the day in between, that day of waiting. And so how do you just mm. recognize that, like, your only hope is God? They wow. didn't know he was up, even though he told them. And so we did that. And in between the sermons, we uh, rotated uh, each church to terms of uh, leading worship. And so, man, it was really good. We had a great time. Tomorrow for Sunday, let me preface this for everybody who, like, goes to church and is a devout Hopefully, you're not quite, not quite that because, you know, Dan and, you know, like, his tribe and with their brother things. Like, we like to do things that's, like, non-traditionally refuge. So to, we typically take, like, one word, like, grace or hope, and then it's, like, first come, first serve. If you want G, you can take that, whatever. And so we'll give <laughs> them, like, a letter, and they can articulate it. They can use illustrations. They can preach a sermon. They can do a poem. 
One dude just sang in the key of E the whole time. He picked E from Grace and just sang in the key of E the whole thing. It was wow. great. Wow. Uh, yeah, man. Tomorrow, though, we said we're doing something really different. And my Baptist is a little nervous, but we're going we gonna to trust Jesus. We're just doing an open mic, man. We've told him for a while, and this is an opportunity, like, you know, since the last Easter, since last Good Friday, what has God been doing in your heart and in your life? And so we'll do an open mic, man. we got some folks that's prepared some poetry. We've got some folks that are dancing. We've got some folks that are doing some mini sermonettes. Uh, so it's going to be hot, man. We're giving it back to the community. And that's really, to answer your point, man, that's what gives us hope. Like, we found out when the whole church's hope is based on my spiritual life or on shared spiritual life, y'all ain't going to make it. But if as a community, together, we can encourage each other and we can say, hey, here's what God is doing in all of our lives, or here's where I'm hurting, but here's where I have hope. And the community uh, is the one engaging in that conversation. That, for us, we found to be restorative and to be uh, incredibly impactful, man. So that's what we're doing tomorrow. Man, it's that's the open, the open mic, you said? Yes, sir. Man, that man, that's dope, man. That's See, I like that. I like the creative out-of-the-box, um, you know, uh, engagement with just life and, and God. And, you know, and like you said, you know, you don't, you know, you don't know what's going to come up. You trust God and, and that, that that's going to come through. Um, model, man. It doesn't work anymore. We all feel it. We all see it. Like it's not, it's not just the seminaries, man. Like you, um, you look at Europe, Europe was like the leading voice in all things. Yeah. theology. And, yeah. uh, you know, Hitler came out of Germany. How do you have Martin Luther and Hitler coming out of the same place? What is going on, man? And like the Christian faith of Europe is like, they struggling right now, and we're still following that model. People are leaving the white churches here in America, and you and I both say in these seminaries, like we have got to do something different in Christian higher education. The millennials and the Gen Zers are here, and they're like, we're done with y'all. These systems don't work. These strategies don't work. You want me to learn propitiation and atonement and ransom and eschatology and numerology and ecclesiology and all those things are nice, but if a white cop shoots another on black person, you don't know what to say. And so we're like, we gotta do something different, man. And so we're just we're taking a leap of faith, and God has been really faithful. Man, I think you, man, you, man, you said a, you said, you said a mouthful on that one, brother. That, <laughs> that is, uh, that is the truth. I, I'm, I'm calling it the Trump effect. That from 2016, there has been a major and radical shift, not just in politics, but just in general. I mean, you have, you know, white supremacists that were once in hiding and now feel okay to just be is, is, is nasty and as crazy as they want to be. Um, you have um a state that feels like it is emboldened and empowered to just take out anybody they want i mean you have you know migrants who have come into this country who are now being displaced and now just in complete crisis um but not only that i mean on, in, even on the micro scale it feels like christian higher ed is undergoing this let's make Christian higher ed great again, right? Yeah. And let's and it's yeah. and it's either being done, you know, boldly, uh, mm -hmm. a, you know, kind of in the in the background. And but you're right, everybody's feeling it, man. That's the that is the double truth, Ruth, right yeah. there, man. Um, yeah. how are so? Let me ask this, man. So this last week we were just talking about this before the show, man. Like Notre Dame burns down and everything and I'm like all right you know that's you know I've I've been to I've been to Gay Perry and 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 hung out there man and you know and, and I don't want to you know sound callous I guess I'm just thinking historically um you know France's involvement in the slave trade and um you know and their support in fact you know some historians say that if France hadn't gotten lost that they would have helped the south you know, overthrow the North and stuff. If, if they had made it, um, here they, you know, they, the South had put out a plea and whatnot. So I don't know. I'm thinking historically, and I can already hear people now saying, Oh dude, but that's in the past. And that was that and a billion dollars though, man, a billion dollars, <laughs> man. Like I'd be completely honest with you. I am, I, man, I, I don't know nothing about Notre Dame. Like I, for me, Notre Dame is a football team, brother. I had to look it up. I was just, what exactly is going on? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of like you know never been there before the only place i've been outside the united states is mexico that was to see a friend get married in cancun i haven't been there but you know i am a black guy that's worked in evangelical white evangelical spaces for 15 years i am broke because the funding system is set up and unless you're white male or you're asian with some networks you're just going to be underpaid for 15 years and i was so i ain't been to france yet i'm gonna go one day <laughs> been so so everything that's happened in terms of the, the building and the history of it, I've had to read about it. Um, 
So obviously, like you said, I hate the fact that this, what, 850-year-old building, I think, has burned down. It's been there for forever. Uh, so definitely hate that. Um, definitely, you know, it's a, it's a hallmark in the city. And so as people look out, their landscape has changed, man. Part of it, it's not a terrorist attack, but, you know, you think back to 9-11 and the Twin Towers, right? My favorite movie is America. And not only is it my favorite movie, but one of, like, the errors in the movie, which everybody sees, Hakeem and Lisa walk by the Twin Towers twice. Like, it's a big flop, just editing wrong. And so you see it, and it's hilarious, but that's not there anymore. So it made me think back to that, like, man, these people are, like, forever changed. What, what movie was I missed that, man. What movie was that? Coming to America, the greatest movie of all time. That's right, that's me. right. And I'm nervous, but anyway, I'm worried, Eddie, you right. Uh, so that, that crossed my mind. But the other side of it is, man, like precisely what you said, right? I think uh, France and the slave trade, but I think in, even to the 21st century, they raised a billion dollars in a week, man. We've got black churches that have burned down here in the United States. Um, and, you know, we've got the president of the United States who hasn't said anything about that. The guy that they arrested is the son of one of the deputies that was investigating the stuff. So what's going on there? You don't have any of those things taking place. You've got uh, a crisis in Puerto Rico. You've got well, in Michigan. You've got these migrants that are trying to come to different parts of the world uh, because they're trying to escape oppression and injustice. And you just see this white resistance overwhelmingly in most of these spaces. But if this building burns down in Europe in less than seven days, they raise a billion dollars. Even Trump offered to send money from the United States to this to this rebuilding of this this monolith. And you're like, what exactly is happening? We do not value people. It's just, it's clear as day. You can't raise a billion dollars in a week and people are starving um, for Damn. a building. Damn. You know, like, it, we, don't, we don't care about people. Like, let's just call it for what it is. It's not a particular type of person. We do not care about people. We will raise a billion dollars so that you can have another place to go and pray or another place to go put up artwork. But we won't raise a billion dollars in order to feed somebody after a natural disaster or a hurricane or an earthquake. And so it just speaks to where our values and our ethics are as a society right now. And it's, it's, it's appalling. Man, that's a trip, man. I mean, I know. So these are, you know, in the in the ill-famed words of, you know, Tupac Shakur, he's like, you know, no one should be hitting the lottery for, you know, $10 million or $50 million or $2 billion. And like, we still have people starving, people without yeah. pants, you know, people without clothes or yeah. whatever, man. I mean, when I saw that number, I actually thought it was a joke. I saw it popped up across my New York Times, you know, my little screenshot. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wait, no, a billion? This had to, no, wait, no, no, hold up, a billion? So it took me by surprise. And, you know, and I know, I'm sure there's some folks like, yeah, but this is, right, I get that. But like you just said, Sean, brother, Sean, we got black churches burning. Like we haven't even talked about that. I'm having to dig to to, to, to find out about these things. Um, okay, pointing on a Google search. Right, <laughs> right. Like <laughs> dig for it. Just like I, I keep the browser open, so I just refresh it on my iPhone because ain't nobody gonna say nothing about these things. It's on page seven of all the newspapers. I'm like, what? What is happening right now? I didn't forget. Like, tell me what else is going on. Is this person arrested? Are these churches still burning down? Where are these communities going to worship? Are their lives in danger? Has anybody been killed behind these things? Um, so do they have insurance? Can they rebuild the buildings? There's nothing there. Oh my God. People like there was, it was on NPR news. It was on BBC news. It was on like, they had it live streaming the building on fire. Just, we're just sitting here stunned that like our city is forever changed. And before the building collapsed, uh, Emmanuel Macron, uh, the brother that's leaving France said, we're going to rebuild this thing immediately. And they had, there are two, I think they said there are two um, billionaires over in Europe and they like to compete with each other. And so they both pledged to give $100 million, like almost immediately. And you just see this this overwhelming amount of money that starts to come in. And it speaks to the, uh, the disparate, the, the wage gap or the economic gaps that exist in the world. You cannot have... Um, Man, it was Trevor Noah, dude. You uh, you ever watch uh, what those uh, in between the scenes for Trevor Noah's? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. There, there was one cat that was there, and you know Trevor is brilliant, man. There was one white guy that was there in the audience, and he ain't mean like lick arm. You could hear it in his voice. He wasn't like trying to be mean. He just is clueless about stuff. He asked Trevor like, um, "Do you think that white people should get reparations as well too?" And Trevor looked at me and was like, "What are you talking about?" And the man was like, "You know the economy that's happened like in the last five years, five ten years." People lost jobs, people lost, you know, land. And Trevor says, you talking about the five or ten years? He said, we're talking about the last 400. He said, 
Like you look at slavery, you look at um, um, Jim Crow, you look at the lynchings that take place, you look at the fact that America legally stopped black people from owning land, which is how you pass down generational wealth. Right. Even if they weren't able to get land, they weren't given insurance, they were given higher interest rates for all their businesses. You had these white mobs come in and burn down all the buildings. There's no insurance, so they can't rebuild. And they still lose the land that they're on they were renting. He said, America needs to have a conversation with black people that says we've held you back, <laughs> uh, including mass incarceration. We have purposefully, directly or indirectly held you back. And that's not just true in America. That's true around the world. Because if a black church burns down, we scramble as a people. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're going to meet under tents for like five years so we can uh, you know, save up enough money. But if a white church building burns down, they can raise a billion dollars in less than a week. And it speaks to the reality of where we are as a country, and I think, I mean, really, as a, as a planet, as a as the world, in terms of how we treat the darker skinned peoples of the earth, and what it will actually take for us to actually come together and be reconciled. It's a lot of work that needs to be done, and we can't even have any adult conversations about it because, like you just said, Christian higher education is not dealing with any of these things. I shouldn't have to watch PBS at night to learn about Reconstruction. And I was like, <laughs> man. It's like Henry Louis Gates doing a two two hour specials on Reconstruction. Jamar Tisby, brother that just wrote The Color of Compromise. Oprah Winfrey, everybody is like, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Why didn't we learn about this in history or in seminary? It's not there. And as long as the conversation is centered on whiteness, on, oh, this was bad, but we're moving forward, everyone, then, like, you know, it's, we're not going to go anywhere, man. It's just, it's progress on the wrong road. Well, and and part of my part of my frustration, part of my concern, part of my my ongoing as an educator, um, you know, as somebody, I mean, I value education, I value um, in depth learning, and 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 on all sides. I mean, I think we should we should be informed, right? I mean, I was texting and joking with you yesterday, you know, trying. I was saying, oh man, I listen to right wing radio, you know, and I know I need to pull back on that, man. It's just it's just the stuff's just so crazy, but I but but. And I say all that to say, I feel like we're having a generation that is losing, I mean, large swaths of history, of understanding. I mean, I would wager to say that a lot of folks are getting bullet-pointed history. World War II, Germans yeah. invaded, they did this, they did that, Japan, you know, they did this, we dropped a bomb, we won Germany, that's it. You know, and like all the nuances are skipped. You know, it's like Vietnam War. Well, we went over there. We, you know, we fought some valiant years. It was a protest here in America. And it, it ended, you know. And I'm just like, wait a minute. It's like, you know, like you're missing out on so much. And it's like, you and I know about this. But I'm, th I'm thinking of the cats that were born after 2000. And what are they, what have they come up with? Because I'll be honest with you, man, the 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds that I'm seeing now, man, barely even know who Cornell West is. And only because they've seen Trevor Noah, and maybe Trevor Noah interviewed him on there. And, and, and people were like, oh, I know Cornell West. And yeah, I heard him. He sounds great. And it's like, yeah, but do you know of his scholarship? Do you know? I mean, and that's just yeah. one person. Yeah. yeah. That's my concern. It's like, there's been such a watering down of things that, and that, and then you used to step into the church, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you got, you know, folks who are so wrapped up in just a basic colonized theology. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, that's why I like at CCDA, man, when I was speaking this last year and I know folks, you know, the one thing that people had the issue with wasn't with my content. It was that I said, fuck, you know, it's just, it was that I said, fuck. So, like, I, like I've, uh, I used to cuss a whole lot, and I pause. I retired from it. Like, I got to be like really upset for them out of my mouth. My girlfriend is not. She just, she's gonna be mad at me for saying this on this podcast. But whatever, she got a bad mouth. She cusses all the time, man. So I was. She's like, I feel bad because I curse her. And you know, I was like, have I ever like, you know, condemned you or like made you feel bad for that? I was like, no. I was like, I want you to be yourself. I also said to you, you know, the other Christians out there like to cuss prophetically, like they use it as a spiritual gift. Let me show you this video of my boy Dan Hodge. He was always you know, we had our phones out. We recorded you because me and uh, Esperanza, we were like, how long do you think it's going to take before Dan curses? She said five minutes. I said one. That's all I know. The first minute. Then you walked out there your first sentence. So, <laughs> so I told my girlfriend, man, 
She's like, I love this guy. I was like, this, this podcast is called Profane Faith. Trust me. Like, <laughs> you, you got to find your tribe, man. You got to find your tribe. It doesn't surprise me at all, though, man. Uh, um, Tony Campolo did the exact same thing, man. Uh, I think he said something like, you know, and they're like, people are upset out there right now. We don't give a shit about people. And the fact of the matter is, you're more upset about the fact that I said shit than the fact that we actually have people who are starving and hurting right now. Right. But, you know, that's where the church is right now. It's it's so pharisaical, it's ridiculous. It's like, we want to kill you if you say anything that goes against empire, that goes against our institutions. I have, I used to be so passionate about arguing with people about a colonized theology, particularly people of color who can tell you about Schleiermacher and Hegel and all these <laughs> But they can't name like two black theologians, living or dead. They can't name two of them. And I just I used to be so passionate about that. Now I'm like, you know, you just have a colonized theology and you just need to know that and be okay with that. And like, well, why do yeah. you say that? Because it, what you're talking about right now is it's all petty and academic, but it doesn't have any social implications at all. That is, none of that is teaching you how to love anybody. None of that is teaching you how to be able to be accepting of other people. Some of y'all can't sleep at night, right? Like, because you're worried about your jobs, you're worried about your families, and kind of all of these things. And none of that stuff that you're learning is actually transforming your life. Um, and so as the concept was over, I'm like, man, I, just, I don't have time to. Like, I'm 36. I feel like 40 is, like, yesterday because Trump is president and it's aging all of us. I'm like, I'm not, I don't have time for this, man. I want to help actual hurting people. Where are the homeless? Where are the naked? Where are those in prison? Uh, let's go after those cats. I don't have time to sit up and argue with people who have only read a white interpretation of history or theology. And as a consequence of that, their worldview thinks that Jesus only cares about abortion and gay marriage. Uh, and that's their worldview and interpretation of things. I'm like, no, like, look at the planet right now. We, we in some mess. And Trump is not the second coming of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination. So I just, I don't, I don't <laughs> man, we were talking about this like yesterday, dude, like the, the tweets that came out from the Mueller report, man. Right, right. You know, it's 400 pages. And like, it's, it's, if he's in so much trouble, like they have whole sections that are redacted. Like, you know, just yeah, I mean, yeah. the war, like the whole page is just blacked out. I'm like, what, what is this right now? And, you know, everyone's saying like, you know, we've got to go after this or what, like these people need to be able to testify before Congress. And you had white evangelicals that were on Twitter that were like, it's fitting that this is like the day before Good Friday, that he's been cleared, and they're yelling, crucify him. This is what happens to the Lord's anointed. I'm like, this is the, he, but he's not the Lord's anointed. Like, he doesn't own a Bible. Like, he can't even say Second Corinthians. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I ain't trying to, like, judge the man, but, like, if we're judging him by the same standards you judge the brother that wore the tan suit, and Barack got in trouble for six months behind that mess, then let's call a spade a spade. Uh, in terms of what evangelicals define as, like, you know, a quality leader, moral qualifications, and for Trump to be xenophobic and clearly a sexual predator, narcissistic, uh, he's had multiple marriages. If we just don't know about the letter of the law in the evangelical church, right, because if you get a divorce, they kick you out, unless you have a lot of money, and then they're willing to forgive it. Um, like, it's just, you realize there's a double standard going on here, and it's it's just, it's unethical, it's immoral, and... Um, in some respects, there's only I've only heard one other older black person say this, and it really made me stop and pause for a second. And he said, you know, the really sad part is, he said, we have to figure out what is so terrifying to white people that they have really sold their immortal souls in a sense that they, for this generation, have bought into uh, the myth of Trump and what he stands for. Like, what are they so afraid of? Mm. And I, I think, honestly, it's a reckoning. Like, there's this is the first generation that we've seen come on the earth that's disconnected in terms of social media. Yes. That in terms of ethnic diversity has this much money and equity and capital. In the past 50 years ago, 100 years ago, white people said, no, there's nothing you could do, right? There wasn't enough economics or money in the equity in the community to be able to change things. Well, all the ethnic groups have money now. Uh, the black community has like $1.5 billion of, of buying power, whether that's credit, debt, or actual cash, whatever. <laughs> but it's $1.5 billion of buying power. And so now if white people do things um, that people of color don't like, well, peace out. We just buy it ourselves. So we'll create something ourselves. And the fact that we're making more babies because they have more abortions than we do, it's a statistical probability. You combine that, our populations are increasing. We've got the money. We've got the education. We've got the resources. 
And there's a reality that white people are no longer, if they ever were, but they're not the center of the universe uh, anymore. And there's that there's that leveling of the playing field, right? That you know, the privilege they had is quickly eroding. And now equality is starting to come in and they are terrified behind it. And it makes you sad, man. Like you want to be like, you know, hey, man, like we brothers and sisters in Christ. Like y'all need to get with this mess. Every culture, every ethnic group has idols and sin issues. Y'all need to let this mess go. Otherwise, y'all going to be in trouble. And uh, they have doubled down on it. They're trying to build these walls. They're trying to kick all, all these immigrants out of the country. And it's just, I don't know what's coming. And that's what scares me. I want to believe that when people of color, black, brown, Asian communities, like when we have like legit equality in the country, I want to believe that somebody with some sense is going to say, we have to treat white people better than they treated us the last 400 years. But what scares me because the church is losing its witness is that I don't know if we will have those types of leaders. Uh, and that's when I think you really have a cultural war on your hands. And I hope it's not that, but that's what scares me, man. It really, really, really does. Man, brother, you said again, man, that's that's the that, exactly exact all of that. <laughs> exactly. That's those are some of the things that I and I, I know I think about a lot uh, in regards to um the future when I think about, you know, my, my daughter's generation that is, that she's 12 now. I mean, she, you know, with the, the, the world that she's going to be growing up in, um, yeah. you know, in, in the effects of, cause I always say, tell folks like, you know, now Elizabeth Warren talking about it. Oh, let's impeach him and let's drop the things for impeachment. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's, that's okay. That's fine. But like the Trump effect is bigger than Trump that's himself. Right. He, that's what right. he has emerged from the bellows of our society is the stuff that we as black folk, we as people of color have known for centuries, right? It's that, you know, there is a disdain, a hate, a visceral reaction to anything, any progress of ethnic minorities. Um, and so now, like you said, they're, they're emboldened. It's like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dig our heels in even further, whether it be in Christian higher education, whether it be at the grocery store, whether it be yeah. at the dollar mart, we are going to make sure. What's the park, that? the park, the beach. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. The hallway of my own apartment complex is going to stop me from going into my own apartment because she thinks I don't belong here. Lady, but uh, it was on Twitter yesterday, man. They're called the United Constitutional um, something, man. But they're, uh, I forgot the name of them already. It was trending uh, last night on the news because there are, and there's an armed group of people who are clearly white that are patrolling the border right now, and the United Constitutional Patriots are their names. They are patrolling the border right now, I believe the one at, uh, at Texas and possibly the one at Kansas, well, I mean, uh, California, and they are arresting migrants and keeping detaining them at the border. They are not authorized. They have no legal power or authority at all. They are saying they are doing this based on the Constitution of the United States, and right now they have 300 migrants detained. Wow. And it's just... What do you do with that, man? That's that's what it means to be white and male in America. You can take a gun and you can go to a border and you can stop someone because you think it's your God-given right. Uh, and uh, just the world that we're headed into, man, it's just it, it's frightening right now. Um, and you know, I I'm not Trump to me. Like everybody knows, I was depressed that the year, the first year of his presidency. Like, I was, don't talk to me. So <laughs> I was depressed. I thought that we had moved further along. We just had Barack in office, man. Like we weren't perfect, but I was like, we made some progress, right? We can't go that far back. I was wrong. And so I think moving forward now, now Trump is just funny. Like you have to laugh at him, otherwise you'll go crazy. Like he's trolling world leaders. He doesn't concern me. The people who viscerally believe in him and like they buy into his worldview, uh, that's what scares me. Because like you said, man, these folks are not, they're not hiding anymore. Civil War ends before Reconstruction starts. The Klan, them brothers were not wearing masks, right? They were like out in And then Reconstruction ends, you got the Jim Crow era. That's when they started putting on like the, the uh, masks were able to hide their faces. Not even doing Tiki Torch marches. They're not even hiding anymore. And so you see history is repeating itself. And when you were that emboldened and to the point to where you're willing to take a car and run it through a peaceful protest to where you're willing to like to try to stop uh, the workings of a college campus to be able to say this is for whites only. When you've got all of these things taking place around the country, it, it's it's one, it, it demonstrates that we are not a Christian nation at all. Marginalized people groups know that, but I think it shows the world that we're not a Christian nation. I think it also demonstrates 
that we try to act, that we're an empire, man, that we're trying to demonstrate that we've got military might as opposed to a moral authority and the fact that we're using guns for all of these things. Uh, I think that you're to demonstrate who we are is, is pathetic, man. New Zealand, they had one shooting, one. That man shot a couple of folks, and Jacinda got on there and said, oh, yeah, now we ain't doing this no more. All the automatic rifles, they're banned. <laughs> and in the middle of the year, like 500 of them, man, like every year. It's just, it's, I don't know what's happening to us, man. I know it sounds like I'm rambling, but I'm saying all this to say, I don't know what is happening to this country. I really do not. This is not the America that we were taught. Obviously, we know that. But in terms of just, I think the road that we're heading on, man, it's frightening. And I think the evangelicals were never really leading. They were just dominating the conversation. And I think it's up to folks like you and me and other people. Who, and even white people who have a decolonized theology, who are willing to give up their power and to submit to leaders of color. I think we've got to come together. We've got to create new styles of churches. We've got to create new theologies. We've got to create new systems of justice. We've got to lead in different communities, uh, lead differently in different communities to demonstrate like this is what a Christian witness looks like because these cats got it wrong like not not even they were off by a little bit they got it wrong like completely and so we've got to do a different thing we've got to do a new thing I think you sense that happening that God is doing a new thing in the streets and we've got to go out in the streets and meet him man brother I I exactly I and I think that's part of at least for me the frustration because I feel like the methods of old you know, are, are not working. Um, you know, it's like, obviously you and I both know, and, and, and I would imagine most of my listenership, you know, uh, knows that, you know, you can't put a track together and hand it to somebody and think, okay, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be that. I, I was, uh, you know, a few weeks back, I had gotten visited by a you know, Jehovah's witness. They, and they're, you know, they're still out there. I give it to them. You know, they're still out there faithfully, you know, knocking on doors and, and handing, handing out pieces of paper and stuff. Right. But we're past that. We've been past that for a long time. I mean, we're past the, the notion. I mean, this generation, um, and especially those born in the mid two thousands, you know, are much savvier, much more informed. It may be ill-informed, but they're informed. Um, And so they're not necessarily going to fall for the, you know, oh, well, you know, you're going to burn in hell and this. I mean, we just got our first glimpse of a black hole. I mean, come on. (laughs) Right? So... I don't know, man. I, I, I ask the same question and I, and I, and I share your, your concern, uh, as an educator, you, you get the pastoral role. I've got an educator role, uh, and trying to figure out, and I don't want to sound like, oh man, all hope is lost. Um, mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like, again, I hear of churches like yourself. I hear of folks doing some great work, but I do get concerned because I, you know, what has been the advancement of black folk, like on a systemic level, not personally, not Oprah, not just Barack. I mean, you yeah. won. You saw what happened. Eight years of Barack in the presidency, and you know people think he's a you know a, a shift shapeer. You know they think he's a damn alien or something like that, and that the deep state is taking over. <laughs> I'm saying. Oh God, man. yes, dude. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's it's. We gotta. Uh, I am speechless. I really am. It's it's. Yeah, the whole man, we what did Tommy Zico's call? Like we were eight years in power. And it's yeah. just it's that's just strange to think about, man. Like you had Barack was there for eight years, and by no means, like I'm not saying that brother was perfect, I'm not saying he agreed with everything. I am definitely like some of these other black people where I'm like, he should have done more for the black community. I get it. He had to be able to lead the nation. Uh you were still like the first black president, so I think I would have liked to have seen him. I don't and I don't even know what. I didn't do a better job of thinking through those things. Maybe you let out everybody who was in the prisons who got arrested who has a life term for, like, selling weed, you know, stuff like that, man. I have no idea, but I think to have someone black in office, I think I would have liked to see them done more for our community. Um, but the fact of the matter is what Dr. King said, I think, back in uh, his last book, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, right? He talked about the reality of white backlash. And you see that happening in history. You see after the Civil War, you see Reconstruction, you see Jim Crow, you see the Civil Rights Movement. They gut the Civil Rights uh, Act. And then you've got uh, drugs coming into the community and you've got mass incarceration. You get Barack Obama and then you get Trump and you got Black Lives Matter with all these shootings. And so there's just generationally, even though we change the laws, the ethic behind who we are as a nation has still continued to be centered on whiteness, which is why the behaviors have not changed for very long. 
And so you look at where we are now, and I think we all should have seen it coming. I think we didn't because precisely what we were saying before, we were not given a proper education. We were not given a, a, a complete uh, education and understanding of what took place. We were given sound bites, and most of that narrative was centered on whiteness, and you and I had to go leave and do our own homework and say, who was actually alive back then? Where are the female voices? Where are the Asian voices? Where are the Latino voices? Where are the black voices that can interpret this thing for us, that can say, no, that's that's not entirely what happened. Dr. King was not like hailed a hero as the country. As a matter of fact, he was the most hated man in America the day he died. It took his daughter to tell me that, right? We've got to be able to find people who were alive back then that can give us a different perspective for stuff because that's what's going to help to prepare us to lead into the 21st century. We could read about oppression and the civil rights movement and all of those things, but I think to viscerally experience it now under Trump, now we've got something that's not something that we've read about, something that we're experiencing in real time. And I think it's it's got to make us sharper. It's got to prepare us to be able to lead into the future because it's not going away. Uh, you thought that all of this stuff would pass away because folks from the civil rights movement are like in their 60s and 70s and 80s and a lot of them have passed away. But you got cats who are 19 and 20-year-olds who are voting for Trump. He's got young black conservatives out there that are good and clueless and are right. voting for well. And so you're like, who is teaching y'all? Like, what books are you reading from right now? What exactly is going on that you think that this is this is normative or that this is healthy, that this is A, an appropriate model for leadership, B, an appropriate political leader, C, a Christian leader at that, just in every single category. What are your definitions of excellence and of leadership? And if the people who are the descendants of your oppressors are the ones who are educating you, then you got a bad education, right? And that's just the reality of it, man. Um, and so I, I just, I, I do not know where we are headed. I want to be hopeful and optimistic. And I think, you know, in 50 years, they'll be like, what the heck happened? We'll probably be fine. But I think for the next five to 10, man, I'm like, what, what is this foolishness? Uh, or as Titus Andromedon says, what is this white foolishness? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. I really don't. Oh man, brother, man, I tell you, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, I could keep talking, man. I don't, I, I don't want to keep you, man. I could, I could definitely chat about this, you know. Cause I know for me, I'm just trying to figure out, like you said, I mean, you know, what, what, what are we headed to, and what are we headed into? Is there a period of, you know, revolt, and what does that revolt look like? Because I think. Again, the methods of old, like when people say, oh, let's just be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. I'm like, no, I mean, I yeah, I believe at the heart of reconciliation. I believe that that I believe in that. I believe in the heart of coming together and and reasoning together. But I but all the other mechanics, like most reconciliation theologies, you know, lift up and affirm whiteness. Um, They center whiteness. And so I'm like, no, I'm not for that. I'm not for that. You know, it's like. You have white moderates and white and, and white progressives, man. You know who, who just run a muck, yeah. right? So, yeah. I'm I'm always like I'm like, wait, how are we supposed to, yeah. you know, get ahead? And and you know, and as an educator, I ask myself, what am I educating this generation into? So, at any rate, you know, I, I my my faith is is that God will somehow work god's magic out somewhere somehow (laughs) yeah Um, Yeah. Yeah. man it's like you uh it's it's i remember being on staff with intervarsity and we had i mean the black staff for years we had been asking for some type of cross-cultural competency training for things because we felt like you know multi-ethnicity is one of our core values and, you know, InterVarsity at that time had 1,200 employees and we're like, you can ask all 1,200 of us and you would get 1,200 different definitions from multi-ethnicity. Uh, and there was a black person that was leading multi-ethnicity in the organization, the high ranking black person that was there, but we didn't have a clear definition for it. And so the shootings are going on and all the black staff were upset. White staff who were working with black students whose eyes have been opened are upset. Just all the people of color are hot as fish grease. And so um, InterVarsity is like, we've got this, we've got this multi-ethnicity training that we want to be able to unveil for you guys. We've had it for five years and we were waiting for the right time. Like, you waiting for the right time? The right time was five years ago when you got it. Right. And so, like, we got in there and sat down and, and Dan, it's precisely what you said, man. It was just completely white-centric. And what I mean by that is it was starting from scratch. Like, hello, welcome. You have an ethnicity. That ethnicity is important. Other people have ethnicities. Those ethnicities are also important. We should come together. 
the end. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. We have ethnicities. We have known about that. White people have not known about that because they have not been displaced. Have the white people go over into a private room. We're not going to think they're going to come out and be racist. They need to have a conversation about that. You also need to give them history that other folks know about. Talk to them about their own power and privilege and the reasons why they have more money than everybody else in the room. It's because their ancestors oppressed everybody and the implications of that professionally, economically, geographically. Walk all of us through all of those things and then ask the question, what will it take for us to be reconciled? Not just come back together because it integrates us into a burning building. And I remember I was asking um, some of the older black staff that was there, you know, I was like in my late 20s and just, you know, every, I was mad at everything, man. I was trying to flip over every table in sight. <laughs> and uh, I was, the older black folks were like, oh, yeah, Sean, man, they're asking the wrong questions and reading the wrong books. And then the old black folks would just walk off. They were, I mean, they were like completely at peace with the fact that this was completely ugly and totally wrong, that we were going in the wrong direction. They were like, I'm not going to argue with them. Uh, I know what it takes in order to lead well, and this conversation is not for us, and we will let you know when it is for us. It's not for us because it's white-centric. And so because of that, Sean, you don't have to have these conversations. They were like, I'm gonna, I remember her name is Dr. Alice Brown Collins. She told me, Sean, I'm going to pray that God gives you discernment. You need to discern how to have the right conversations with the right kind of white people. He said, you talk to all white people and you were repeating the same conversation. Jesus didn't repeat himself. Jesus said one thing. You either turned towards him or you ran from him. But that was it. He wasn't repeating himself. And she said, too many of us are repeating ourselves. We're having the same conversations with too many leaders in education and higher Christian education in these churches. And she said, that's not of God. And so she said, you need to develop some discernment to know who to talk to and when. She said, because these white center conversations on reconciliation she said, how can you have someone who is not even aware of their own culture and ethnicity and then decide they want to have a conference on multi-ethnicity, lead that same conference when they've only read one book about it and we've lived it for 400 years? She said, we're not going to do this. And it was the first time I had to sit back and say, this is, we're not, white people are starting a conversation that people of color have been having for centuries. Right. And it's okay for you to be able to say, I'm not, um, don't waste fresh tears on old sorrow." as that old black proverb says. And you just have to step away from it, man. And that's why I guard my heart. I don't, there was a time in my life when I didn't know who John Piper was. There was a time in my life when Piper would say something racist or sexist or what is it, Desiring God a couple of weeks ago when they wrote that article on uh, Captain America and how it's emasculating men. We're like, it's a superhero movie. What are you talking about, fool? Like, there was a time in my life, like 20 years ago, I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know who Piper was. I didn't know what evangelicals were. They could put out a tweet or a, uh, and send out an email or write a book, and it did not shock me to my core. It didn't mess with my church when I was a part of in Houston. And I'm trying to get back there. That when somebody does something crazy or stupid in a white evangelical space, it does not keep me up at night. And so that's where I am right now, man. I'm trying to guard my heart against those things. I have unfollowed most of those pastors. I know some folks are like, you have to follow them so that you know what's going on. No, I don't. <laughs> No, no, not at all. When they, when they actually are prepared to speak to our issues, it will then impact my worldview such that I have to go back and look at them. I used to listen to Andy Stanley. I used to listen to Tim Keller. I never listened to John Piper. He's too long-winded. I listen to a lot of them other cats, and those like the shootings happened, and the social justice stuff happened, and Trump got in there, and you don't hear anything from them. Right. And I'm like, they're talking to me. They're talking to their own communities and their own congregations, and they are a part of a dying breed. And it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. To be reconciled to this is to integrate into a burning building. And you can keep it. Other places places to worship. I don't want it. Y'all have fun. Knock yourselves out. And uh, when y'all ready, uh, we'll be over here (laughs) trying to build something different. Man, brother, that is a good word. This brother said, hot as fish grease. I was upset. I was perturbed. No, I was hot as fish grease. That's right. I was mad. <laughs> man, brother, that is, this is dope, man. Oh, brother, like I said, I could talk with you all day, man. What, uh, where can people find you, man? Where, um, where can people come and, you know, bring you out and, you know, maybe bring, maybe bring you out to, to Gay Perry to, to speak some sense into, into folks, man. We get a little bit of that billion dollars, you know, you never know. Yeah. Why are you playing, man? I'm on Twitter, man. My Twitter was uh, Sean is fearless, S-E-A-N uh, is fearless. Uh, they can check out my blog, uh, www.smwatkins.com. 
right on there a lot. Uh, I'm getting ready to start my own LLC uh, called Chime Watkins Consulting. I do a lot of cross-cultural competency consulting, both. Uh, and, you know, you got various levels um, from, like, awareness to action to advocacy. And so I've got uh, really three different levels where I walk people of color or even white people through it as well, too, saying, hey, here's how you become aware of these issues, what action steps can you take? And then how do you not stop it? The fact that, you know, uh, that you're not racist. How do you become anti-racist? How do you become allergic to racism? So doing a lot of that work, man. And it's been a gift, dude. Um, so definitely there. Definitely on social media. Definitely on my blog. And I'm trying to start my own consulting company as well, man. It's the exact same thing. So I don't want to just complain about it. I actually want to be a part of the solution, which is what I think leadership is, man. So I'm trying to speak into the storm that we see coming, man. I'm not... I don't, Jesus said you don't like move mountains. He said you speak to them. So I'm not trying to help take this thing, man. I'm just trying to tell it to move. And hopefully by God's power, man, uh, something will change because I'm not killing myself. (laughs) 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 I'm going to talk to it and that's it, brother. I'm not going up any more mountains. Uh -uh. We ain't doing that. We're done. Man, I heard that, brother. Well, look, man, it has been a true blessing to finally get you and just you on the show, man. Thank you so much for, for carving time out. I know it's a busy weekend and, and uh, you know, for you and, and what have you, man. So thank you so much. Man, I appreciate it, dude. I'm actually like, you know, it's Saturday. We wait on the resurrection, but I am like living my best black life right now. Jesus gets up tomorrow and T'Challa gets up six days from now. So I'm, I'm ready for all of it, but <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I heard that, brother. I heard that, man. And for those listening, I'll put all these in the show notes. Uh, please check out Brother Sean Watkins. And if you in the Austin, Austin area, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, if you in the Austin area, go check this brother's church out. Come on now. Sure. I know I got some Austin listeners out there. I, I check my Google Analytics. So um, uh, go, go check this brother out. Check us out what he has to say. And when's that book coming out, brother? I know you I know you got a book, right? Right? Man, look, I'm trying in the process of actually writing the outline. And I'm even going to submit to uh, InterVarsity Press or the Orbis. Right now I'm talking to InterVarsity Press. I know a lot of the cats over there. So I'm really working on this book on black discipleship, man. We got to add something to the 21st century. So. Yes. Hopefully, God willing, man, if not by the end of this year, definitely hopefully by summer of uh, 2020, man. But it should be out soon. Excellent, man. Well, when you get, get ready to that, well, you know, I'll definitely have you on the show again. But but for, for especially when you get that book ready, man, we'll, uh, we'll get you out. I appreciate it, bro. All right, brother. All right, man.